Hey there, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 211. And this is the second installment in our four-week urban survival training series. Now, last week we talked about secret shelter options in urban areas. This week, it's all about finding clean drinking water for you and your family. And don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free downloadable show notes, including our handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the highlights from today's broadcast. All you need to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 211 or 211 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hello everyone, welcome, welcome. This is Jeff Anderson, editor of Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And as I said last week, this topic of urban survival is one that I find to be one of the most misunderstood topics out there in the prepping world. And there's really, there's so much conflicting information all over the internet about whether you should or shouldn't be near urban areas during a crisis, or also, like, how do you sustain yourself if you do already live in an urban area, or you have to travel through an urban area for things like getting to major medical attention or resupply of resources and things like that. Now, last week we talked about shelter options for these environments. How can you stay protected from the environment and stay out of the way, stay hidden when you're in these types of areas, whether you live in an urban area or whether you are traveling through one, right? And now it's time to talk about how do you sustain yourself with the resources that you need when you're in these areas. And the first one up for this week is talking about water. Because if you've ever heard about the law of threes, Actually, weirdly enough, I've seen this as the law of fours recently. I don't know why that is, but the law of threes when it comes to survival is you can survive three minutes without air, three days without water, and three, three weeks without food. Now, those are some general guidelines, right, for survival, but basically it does give you a level of importance of what you really need to be able to survive, right? Obviously, if you don't have oxygen, if you can't breathe, you're going to die within three minutes or so, right? Well, the next one of importance there is you can last about three days without water. Now, again, that's a subjective number, and it could be more, it could be less, depending upon several different factors, actually. But, obviously, water is more important than food. You need clean, drinkable water more than you need food. You can you can last longer without food. Now, I just got into a debate with a commenter on one of our YouTube videos. Actually, the, the video was about um, survival food and how much water that you need to have set aside, uh, not just for food, but for drinking and other, and other needs as well. And basically, I mean, the, the comments that this person made were really, really um, good. It was basically like, how do you carry all this water? If you need, if you're bugging out, you have, you need three days of water, uh, then, you know, how are you, how are you going to carry that much water? I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go through there. So there's some, some comments that were made that were really spot on about you need to be very realistic with whatever your survival plan is, right? No matter what factor it is, you really have to pressure test this against reality versus fantasy. And that's what we usually find with this urban survival topic is that it's really very much based on fantasy out there um, and people that, that have never had to either survive in an urban environment or been in a situation where resources or, or infrastructure was down and resources were scarce in this type of an area. 
And so that's what this whole goal with this four weeks is to really kind of get you past all that fantasy and get you to reality. All right. So listen, obviously water is extremely important. Now I know it's not that sexy of a topic, right? It's not like escape and evasion or other cool topics, but it is critical to your family's survival, to your survival, right? So one of the things that um, I was going back and forth with this commenter is about how much to plan. And this person was saying that you want, you know, you need a gallon of water per person per day. Um, we're in, in this situation, we were talking about really kind of like bugging out. Like, what do you put in your bug out bag? Right. Again, more on this a little bit later. But the big problem with that one gallon per person per, per day, uh, that formula is that that's really for a survive in place type scenario. Right. So as a general rule, yeah, you want to plan for about a gallon of water per day per person. And that that should cover everything from drinking water to even the just you know making food and things like that. Not really for washing. We're going to take all that. You're not going to take a shower with that with that same one gallon of water or anything like that. But as far but as far as let's get down to the bare minimums here. General rule is about a gallon per person per day for a survive in place scenario. Now, you need a little bit less for kids because they're not going to be drinking an entirely entire gallon of water uh, throughout the day most likely, all right? But your your activity level when you're in a shelter in place scenario is going to be less than if you were trying to get to another location and if you had to bug out by foot, for example. And that's where your calculations really start to jump up super, super high. Now, I can tell you that when I was in the 10th Mountain Division, we did road marches every single uh, week. It was usually a Friday thing. It was usually our PT for the week, our physical training for the week. We would do about a seven-mile road march just just to keep things lubricated, right, just to keep the joints going and everything, just to keep our muscles um, up to speed when it came to what, what our bodies were going to be needed to do in our, I mean, we were a light infantry group, right? We were, we were rapid deployment. Um, a lot, most of the time we were on the ground carrying our stuff with us, walking to our next destination, walking to our next mission. And I can tell you that when we were doing, uh, if we did like a multiple day road march and we would do four to either, we would do a hundred mile road march once a year, either as four days or as five days. So we did it as four days, it was 25 miles a day. Now I can tell you we, whether we did it in four or five days, the average amount of water that one person used was about five gallons of water per person. Now a couple things here. We're talking about a long distance, right? So 25 miles. Is a, is a long distance. We're talking about elite military soldiers. 10th Mountain Division, we were hard chargers. Like we were, we were in, in tip top shape. We road marched all the time. We were already set up to be able to, to do this. Now, for the average family out there, you're not going to be doing 25 miles in a day. You're not going to be able to. You might only be, have, be able to get to maybe five, seven, ten miles maximum, depending upon what resources that you have. As far, I mean, well, let's say like what, Maybe like you have young children, it's going to be harder. You have elderly parents. If you're older, there's all kinds of limitations there. But you might still need, depending because it's really about the level of exertion that you do, you might need that same, let's say, three to five gallons of water per day if you're in that type of a scenario. Now, if you're bugging out by vehicle, you don't have a lot of activity, right? So you're probably not going to need all of that. But you need to plan for all of that. So you might need up to three to five gallons per person when bugging out. Now, a gallon of water is about eight pounds. So for evacuation conditions, you're talking about the possibility of needing between 72 and 120 
pounds of water for, let's just call it three days, like a 72-hour bug out with a backpack, right? You're not going to be carrying an extra, an extra 72 to 120 pounds of water. So how do you accommodate that, right? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later here. But what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that you can find clean drinking water in urban environments, okay? Now, most people thinking like, well, if I'm in a wilderness survival scenario, I'll be able to find a stream or a lake or a pond somewhere. Well, that's that's oftentimes true, right? You can kind of follow terrain to be able to go down through, um, you know, uh, over just use, using the terrain there, figuring out where water will accumulate, where streams might possibly be, even if you don't have a map, right? But we're talking about urban environments. It really takes things to a whole, you have to be very, very creative about how you do this. Now, there are three ways that I, I show here that you can, you can find this drink water. And they really are stored water that you have, hidden water that you may or may not know about, and then there's scavenged water. All right, so I'm going to break each of those three things down for you right now. So the first one is stored water. And what we're talking about is water that you have control over. It's water that you can plan ahead or plan at the time of an incident that is yours to basically control and do what you want with, right? So this, we're talking about what you can do ahead of time. And a lot of people are carrying or they're storing away extra water in whether it's in like cases of small bottles that you can have or it could be larger containers such as a water cooler type a five-gallon water cooler uh, type that you might see normally at like a job placement or doctor's office or wherever. So there's those as well, and, and there are stacking devices that you can use to put those in as well. Um, one of the things I like, they're called the water brick, and uh, what I like about these is that they are they are they basically look like large bricks, but oftentimes they are well they're very opaque, so they keep sunlight from uh, coming in. They're blue. Uh, there are some that are blue. I've seen some that were, uh, I've seen some in other colors also, but the ones that I have are blue. And uh, I think there's a reason for that as far as when it comes to purifying of water as well. But what I like about these is that they have handles on them. You can stack them. You can carry them very easily. You can also store other things, not just water in them. So you can carry, you can put food in them. You can bury these things. You can put ammunition in them. They're very versatile. So I love the water bricks and the different things that you can do with them. Um, and, and I'll put a, there's a link, uh, if you've never heard of them before, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes here or on the blog for, uh, for the water bricks, okay? Or you can just go to mcsmagazine.com slash water brick and you can uh, find them there as well, all right? But you can, uh, basically you can store these, you can store water ahead of time and even if you are in a smaller place like an apartment, then you can still store Bottle, water bottles underneath a, a bed and things like that. Okay. Now, the other thing that you want to do is for stored water, if you do live in an area, like if we're talking about urban survival and you do live in this area, you're, you're going to shelter in place that at the time of the incident, like when you know something is happening that could affect your, your water supply. Now that could be, uh, well, grid down blackouts or if, if it doesn't come without it with, with a, um, if it doesn't come with a warning. You might find that your power is completely out and you're not able to get any water out of your faucet. But if it's something else is coming like a hurricane that you are going to shelter in place for, or if there's any other type of, any, any other type of forewarning that you have that something is coming and you might not have water in the future, then what you want to do is you want to take action right away. 
So if you still have clean water that's coming out of your tap and you know that it's clean, you want to do something like fill up your bathtub as far as you possibly, as much as you possibly can. And make sure you put like a secondary stopper over the drain to avoid it from leaking down. But basically you want to collect as much water as possible while it's still coming out clean. So bathtub or bathtubs that you have in your house, really, really good option, right? Sinks as well. If you have it, you know, basically however many sinks you have, you can fill those up. Uh, any water containers that you have, whether it's old milk jugs, two liter bottles from soda, those types of things, fill them all up with water. In other words, collect as much water as you can from the clean sources that you have for that shelter in place option that you have. All right. The other thing that you can do is you can collect rainwater. Now, me personally, I am 100% on rainwater collection. We have a 52,000 gallon tank that uh, takes care of our, our home. So for shelter in place, that is going to give me a lot of water. If there is no rain whatsoever, I and mean, we've had as many as people, as six people, and I have my mother-in-law and, and I'm always aunt living with us as well. And we had all kids and we had about six people. That 52,000 gallons, if it didn't rain a drop in Texas, which oftentimes happens, then that would last us um, about a year and a half is what we figured uh, between with looking at how we were actually using water without conserving anything. All right. And trust me, having kids that take 45 minute showers, that was a pretty uh, conservative estimate. So um, but rainwater collection, you can do even if you aren't set up for it. Now, again, some local laws and some even some state laws, I think. Uh, Colorado used to be like this. It's not that way anymore, but where you couldn't do rainwater collection. But what you can do is you can collect rainwater oftentimes in just those those big, uh, like 55, I think they're like 55 gallons. Some of them are a little bit bigger that you use for landscaping. So you can get these at like Home Depot, a Lowe's, or any other kind of department store. Some of them are very decorative. They almost look like terracotta pots. But you can, I would get the largest one that you can. And, you, and these are essentially used for watering a garden. But you can collect the water to be able to be used later. Now, usually with, uh, with any sort of true rainwater collection, you're going to be able to, you're going to want to use like a metal roof and, and not a shingle roof. That's not what you use for rainwater collection. However, you are going to purify this water later. And we're talking about last, last, you know, basically, um, this water you're going to get to as a last resort if you're going to need it. Or it can be used for other things like, you know, washing dishes or sanitation, showers, perhaps things like that. All right. So there's ways you can do that, but you can collect a lot of water through rainwater in if even if you don't have like a drinking rainwater collection system. Okay. All right. Now, if it is going to be a long crisis, here's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you use your largest sources of storage first. In other words, you want to make sure that you go, if, if it looks like it's going to be a long-term crisis and the power is going to come back on and you're not going to have access to clean water out of your faucets for a while, you want to use that bathtub water first or the water that you have in the rainwater collection, the water in the sinks. If you have 55-gallon drums that you're using for water storage because they do make those for survival purposes, then you're going to use that water first. Now, I will tell you that most people think it's exactly the opposite. What they'll do is they'll save that for their last minute water. And what they'll use first is the most convenient water that they have or the, you know, basically water bottles. And that's really not the best way to do it because if you do have to evacuate in a moment's notice, you're, it's going to be much easier for you to grab those stacks of, of water bottles or the, even the five gallon 
water uh, container and stick it in the back of your vehicle than it is to take a 55-gallon water container out, right? So you want to use the largest the largest containers first with all of that, all right? All right, so number, the number one way of, of getting clean drinking water in an urban environment is to actually have the water ahead of time or at the time of, uh, of the incident by storing your water. The second one is what we call hidden water. And this is water that you may or may not know even exists inside of your home. And if I ask you right now to go ahead and pause this recording and think about all the places outside of the faucet, outside of the shower and the bathtub, where do you have water in your home or around your home right now? Okay. You start thinking about it. Well, if you have a hot water heater, like a, a regular hot water heater that stores the water and heats it up so it's always there, those are typically about like 40 gallons or so. Some are bigger, some are smaller. But all of that water is usable to be able to be used for drinking water. Okay, so that's going to be there. Um, the important thing to do is to, if you do know it's going to be a crisis that is going to affect your water and things, you're going to you're going to want to shut off the the water going in there unless you are unless it's not something that's affecting your water tables. Like if you have a, your own well that goes into that tank. And your well is going to get affected by the crisis. In other words, if it's not like a, a flood or something like that, then you're going to be fine. You want to leave it on. But if it is something that is going to taint the water on the outside, you want to make sure that you shut off the water that would be coming into that hot water tank, trap it, what you have right there, and use that as what as your known clean water that you'll be able to use, right? Now, the way you get this water out is usually at the bottom. There's a little like a hose uh, there's a, a faucet down at the bottom that you would normally put like a garden hose on. Uh, about once a year, you want to make sure that you shut off all the water and the drain valve and everything, and you and you open that up to make sure that all the sludge at the bottom comes out. Otherwise, that, that kind of stuff that just kind of cakes up a little bit inside of there, and then if you go to use it, you're going to get a lot of sludge coming out, or it might even be all packed down in there, and you can't get any water out. So about once a year, you just want to make sure you clean that out. But that is where you're going to get the water typically out of your hot water heater to be able to um, be able to be used. Okay, unless if it, if you can't use like the um, the faucets and stuff. All right, another place that you can find hidden water in your home are the back of your toilets. So I don't recommend that you use the toilets. I uh, in and we're going to talk about this here in, an, in another minute as well. Um, but I, I recommend that you don't use the toilets that you have during an emergency where water is going to be a factor as far as availability. Okay, so use the uh, the back, keep the water in the toilet, Use keep the water in the back of the toilet. So that's the water before, that's the water that gets used to be able to flush the toilet, essentially. But that's relatively clean water, okay? Um, the back, uh, also, you want to look at the pipes in your home. So you have water coming from your hot water heater and from your drinking water source over into your um, into your home. If you cut, again, just like we did with the hot water heater, if you cut off the water to your home so that it's not coming from an outside source like city water system, if it's going to be tainted, if you can cut that off, then that water that you trap is available to you. And you'll find in different places, perhaps in your basement, uh, it all depends on how your piping is, but you'll find these different drain locations that you should be able to take water out of there. You just have to be careful that you're taking out actually clean water out of the pipes and you're not tapping into like the sewage pipes and things like that. Obvious, I know, but again, if you don't really know, you've got to figure out which of those which of those pipes are actually um, 
clean, clean, clean water that you've got there. Okay. So that's hidden water. And you can think about other way, other places that you might have this. You might have a hot tub. You might have a pool that has water in it, right? Um, you might have streams around your home that you didn't think about or didn't know about, right? You look at a, go ahead and get and pull out a map that you have, um, a topographical map. Sometimes even road maps will have, they'll have major waterways on them, but a topographical map will show you areas that water might collect. So it might just be a dry stream bed, but you might find something that where water will collect there. And you, if it's raining outside, you may be able to go and get water from that location. Uh, you might see other places where there are water sources around you that you just didn't even know about, right? Until you really look at that map. So, but you, you want to look around for those, those hidden water locations that you really didn't know and then have those just on standby. Those are your, the ones you're going to go to, um, also to be able to, um, be able to get, find water, find water. Okay. Okay. The, uh, the third one that we're going to talk about is what I call scavenged water. Okay, so this is going to include, actually there are a few different sources for this, but this is the stuff that you can go out and find, all right, outside of around your home. We're talking about you have to go away from your home now to try and find this. We already did talk about waterways and things, but these do include like military uh, water points, um, Red Cross relief stations, FEMA centers, things like that where they are giving away clean, they have clean drinking water available to the public. Now, I, I say this only if it's actually safe to go to those locations to be able to get that water. All right, so I'm not going to go too deep into this right now, but there's there are certain factors you need to really think about whether or not you're going to use these uh, the military stations or FEMA or Red Cross and things like that. So let's talk about some other areas, though. There are some hidden, uh, basically what you can do is you can go for that that hidden water that we just talked about in other homes and other buildings that are in these rural environments. So whether you are going, you're traveling through an urban environment or you live near one, there might be people that have left or been forced out of their home, but the water is still good. Or they left, but maybe the water in the back of their, their toilets can be used. Maybe they have a pool that you could use. Maybe you know they had a hot tub in there. You can go through these places and be able to find other things. If they, if you're, if it's inside of an abandoned, um, building that is like a, like an office building. There might be water coolers that are in there. So you want to think about where is this water all hidden, right? It's not just yours, but is it hidden in other homes? Is it hidden in other buildings that you can get to? Also outdoor water hoses. If the water supply hasn't been tainted to the point where it's completely undrinkable and you can't even purify it, outside water hoses uh, or water faucets that other people have on, on homes or buildings is another source of water, especially if you're traveling and what maybe pure water isn't really a problem, but you need water and you're in an urban environment, you can just go and find a faucet outside of a building or a home somewhere and just use that water knowing that it's most likely drinkable. Okay. Uh, another thing you can look at are, are fire sprinkler tanks that are up on top of or around commercial buildings. So if it has a sprinkler system, that water either comes from piped in water system, but a lot of them use water tanks because if it is, a, well, for the purposes of, if it is a situation where there is no power or the, uh, doesn't have emergency power to, to use those sprinklers, uh, whatever is going to trigger them, whatever, it's a backup system that's pressurized through either through gravity or, um, other means, but you basically look like these, um, 
how do I describe them? Almost like a, almost like a silo for a, um, for like a farm, but on a much smaller scale, right? You'll see these on, on, on a lot of older buildings in cities where they are water that, that's used there. So you can, um, so that's another thing. Fire sprinkler tanks that are out there. Um, yeah. And we talked about, uh, water coolers and, uh, water bottles that are stored in other places. So that's what you can do. You can look in around other homes that have been abandoned. You might be able to find some water that people have left behind there as well. Okay. Okay. So those are the three areas, stored water, hidden water, and scavenged water. But there are a few important factors that you really need to consider here. Okay. Now, the first factor that you really need to consider is that your water must be drinkable. Now, that sounds obvious, I know, but there's a reason why I say that, because a lot of people might think that the water is pure. And a good example of this is if you were on top of a mountain somewhere, right? You're out hiking in in the middle of nowhere and you come across this gorgeous stream that's just like there's rapids and the water is just it's crystal clear. And you just want to and I've done this before. Believe me, I've done it. I've just gone down there and you just start drinking out of this beautiful mountain stream. And it just it tastes so great and it's so pure and it's so clean. And it's really not. <laughs> all right. There's all kinds of organisms that are in all of these wild resources that are out there that might have uh, things from animals, might be excrement. It can just be um, it might be runoff from way, way upstream that comes from farms or other sources that you don't even know about, right? So don't, all, you, the thing here is to always assume, it's always best to assume that any water that you find during a crisis needs to be treated. It needs to be treated and made drinkable. Now there's a lot of ways to do that. There's water purification tablets, there's boiling, there's, there's using bleach. I'm not going to go into all the how-tos for all of those. But there are also commercial purifiers that are out there as well that will work both at home and on the move. And I'll go up into that here in just a little, in a minute also. But the point here is that you really need to make sure that you purify any of the found, especially the found water sources that you have, if it hasn't come out of your faucet when you know that that water is pure and clean. Okay. All right. The second factor is you need to think about water conservation. So there's a, there's a couple different ways that you need to look at this. So one is at home. So what I mean by conserving water at home is you want to limit the amount of activity that you do as much as possible. Now, any sort of a crisis might make you put out more exertion um, because you might have to go out and you know, fix damage to your home. Uh, you might have to go travel someplace to be able to go and um, get resupply from you know, whatever it is, your, your survival team, uh, you're, you're going to your rally point, whatever it is, you, you might have to um, have some activity, but you want to limit that as much as possible to conserve your energy so you're not using up as much food and water, food too, uh, as you, as you might have to if you, if you, if things were a little bit more strenuous for you, okay? Um, also, you want to make sure that you have an alternative option for sanitation. In other words, for a toilet. So, you know that you don't need the water in the back of the toilet to be able to flush the toilet. You can keep a bucket of water there and you can just pour the water in in order to use the toilet inside of your home. But again, if this is a true SHTF scenario, a collapse, and you don't know when that power is coming back on to be able to maybe get water back into the system or be able to get to more water, you want to conserve it as much as possible. And so what you need is an alternative 
type of a toilet that you and your family can use. Now you can get these, there's, you can make them yourself out of some 55 gallon, I'm not 50, yeah, like five gallon drums. Uh, they do make survival toilets in a way. Um, and they're really easy to use. It's just basically, you're just basically going to the bathroom inside of a trash bag. Now, obviously, if it's number one, you can go outside, right? Yeah, you too, girls, you can go outside too. Uh, but number two, you want to have some kitty litter there and all you really need is like a five gallon bucket with a trash bag in it and some little bit of kitty litter in the bottom and just keep some kitty litter next to it. You can keep kind of using it. And, um, but that's going to allow you to be able to conserve on that water as well. Now that's at home. When we talk about when we're on the move, it's a little bit different, right? Like conserving water on the move is a little bit harder because you're going to be putting out more energy. Now, if you're in a vehicle, again, it's it's not as much of an issue, but what happens if your vehicle breaks down, like we talk about, right? And you still have to keep going to try to be able to get to your safe zone. Well, the last thing you want to do is be able to is 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 be forced to put your backpack on your on your back and start walking. So you want to have an alternative means of traveling if you can. So we talk about the five phases of disaster in um in my training and what those are. And so having an alternative means of transportation is one of those phases. So it might be a bicycle, for example. It could be an electric bike. It can be just a, a bike that you pedal. But you're going to get much farther with less effort using a bike than you are putting a backpack on your back and heading off on your, with your feet, right? So conserve, water conservation might just mean that you know, you're able to travel farther with less effort. You're going to need less water, okay? So have, making sure that you have those alternative means of traveling if you need it. The other thing that you can do is to travel at night, especially if you're in an area that has, that's, um, you know, like I live in Texas. So if you live in an area where it is going to be hotter during the day, traveling at night is going to allow you to stay cooler so that you're not sweating as much. You don't need as much water. You probably won't drink as much water there, right? So that's going to help you with water conservation as well. Okay. All right. The third factor we need to talk about is mobility. Mobility, because even if you are in a shelter in place in an, in an urban area, you might have to bug out. Again, this is why we say use those larger water stores, for example, like your bathtub, um, which is which most people save for last, and that's the wrong way to do it, right? So you want to be able to think about mobility, and the one way you know one way you do that is to save those small bottles for if you have to leave. Or you might be able to again in the back of the vehicle, you might be able to put those five gallon water cooler jugs in the back there. But if you break down, that five-gallon water jug is not going to go inside of your backpack, right? It's not going to go in your bug-out bag. It's not going to go on the back of your bike, typically, right? So so that's still not the best option there. Now, one thing that we talk about, and this is why with our X-Bobs, our extreme bug-out bags, they come with a water bag and an inline filter inside, you know, with the bag, because what that allows you to do is to manufacture your own water along the way, no matter where you are. Okay, so it doesn't matter if it is a scummy, green, algae-covered pond. I can scoop the water into my bag, and my inline filter is going to make that pure as it comes out the other side there. All right, so that means that I don't have to carry. Remember we talked before about, you know, are you really going to carry three days of water with you? You know, are you going to really carry 72 to 120 pounds of water on your back? Of course you're not. This is what allows you to not have to do that, just to be able to go and actually just um, scoop up water on the fly as you find it 
refill and then you've got you know your two liters of water in inside of this bag you can carry an extra bag in there with you as well um, plus the one that we give with our with our xbobs comes with a shelter in place adapter and what this allows you to do is to use the same inline filter but use it on a much larger water source it could be a 50 gallon uh, industrial strength trash bag can be used as a, a water collection point. You can use that with rain, you know, for rain, you can collect rainwater in it. You can dump found water in it that you, that everybody brings back to the home. You can dump it all in there and it can be nasty. That's fine. Um, we have the, you know, what we do, what we have is an, as a shelter in place adapter that goes with our system that connects to where the inline filter is, just gives you drinkable water in that. And I've, I've used that a lot of times when I've gone like camping with my son or things like that. We use, we use that with a central water bag in the campsite. All right. So that's uh, so mobility is that third factor that you need to really think about. Now, the fourth factor is security. And it's security is so important that it's actually going to get its own episode. All right. So uh, security in an urban in an urban environment really, really is critical because you're talking about urban environments. That's where people are. And you need to think about security with every aspect of your plan. We, we talked about it with shelter. Same thing goes for water. You know, those military um, water points, those, those FEMA camp water points, the Red Cross water point that you might go to. Well, what is the status of your area? Is it really safe there to go to? Or is it, has it been, as we talk about, three days from calm to chaos, right? If it's an extended event and people are and resources are running low all across the board, it doesn't matter if there's tons of water. If resources or morale is is at an all time low and people are getting really irate and and nasty with one another, take that where you want to take it. Um, that is a that is a huge concern for you, right? So security is such an important factor. It touches on everything that we are going to be talking about in urban survival. Actually, everything in survival period, we talk about security as a factor. But it is so important that it is going to get its own episode. And that is coming up in our upcoming uh, other series that we have for the urban survival training series this month. All right. So that's all coming up. But go ahead and make sure that you go and get the show notes for this episode. You'll find it over at www.mcsmagazine.com slash 211. Go ahead and download it all there for free. Next week, we're going to be talking about survival food options. How do you find food in urban environments that you can use for sustaining you and your family? All that's coming up next week. And until then, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.